Well, today is our sixth Sunday in this sermon series from Genesis, and the second sermon that will focus our attention on the devastation caused when sin entered the picture. We have seen the glory of God's creation, the beauty of his work, his creation of mankind in his image with intrinsic moral value. God blessed his creation and lived in relationship with them. And then last week we saw the evil one, the deceiver, lead Adam and Eve into sin and into rebellion against God. We saw the result of sin causing damage to their relationship with one another and with their God. But we also heard God promise a redeemer, the offspring of the woman who would come to crush the serpent, to destroy sin. In today's uh, sermon text, we see that the woman does, in fact, give birth to a child. Eve, remembering that very first gospel announcement, may have daydreamed about how her firstborn son could could be the one to stomp on the deceiver's head. Or at least one of his children or grandchildren could be the promised one who would punish the evil one. But little did she know just how devastating her first sin would prove to be. Rather than attacking Satan, her firstborn would attack his younger brother. But of course, the promise of God would remain. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is God's word to us. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offspring, but on Cain and his offspring he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what uh, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. 
Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks today for your word. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe. And may we turn to you in repentance and faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text today, we see the effects of sin in the lives of the first family. So what do we learn from the heartache that this first family experienced because of Adam and Eve's sin? The first thing we see is that God is not fooled by our token offerings. God is not fooled by our token offerings. One of the most significant points of discussion in this chapter is the question of of why Abel's offering was so much better than Cain's. Look at verse 2 of our text. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and on his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And so the question is, why? Why did God prefer Abel's offering and not Cain's? Uh, Now, those of you from a a ranching background in this room might be feeling a little prideful uh, at the moment. Those uh, from a farming background might be sliding lower in your seats. But, But of course, Uh, The point of this story is not that God prefers ranchers over farmers. You guys can have that debate after the service. Uh, It's not that God prefers meat over grain. So, So what is it that differentiates these two offerings, these two sacrifices that are brought to the Lord? And we always want to handle these types of questions with care. We don't want to come up with an easy answer Uh, when God doesn't state the answer explicitly, clearly. Uh, This is one of my uh, pet peeves, and and Christians do this far too often. We try to resolve something that God has intentionally left open-ended. We want so desperately to relieve the tension or the question marks that we provide some overly simplistic, silly, and and sometimes even absurd solution. We we don't want to do that with our text today. Uh, The most clear, the most direct, maybe the most responsible answer to the question of why God preferred Abel's offering over Cain's is quite simply that he did. He's God. He can prefer whatever he wants to prefer. Who am I to question that? Uh, Just like uh, the clear biblical truth, the clear biblical teaching, I think you'll all agree with me on this, that God prefers the Denver Broncos over the Minnesota Vikings. You should just accept it as true. And if you come at me with flimsy arguments about it, we can just reminisce about all of the Vikings Super Bowl wins. But I digress. 
God doesn't owe us an answer on why he prefers Abel's offering over Cain's. And yet at the same time, I think that our text gives us some clues. Some degree of of insight into the difference between these two offerings. And I think the difference is profound. Let's look at the difference in wording. It's it's up on the screen in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil. And then compare that with verse 4. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. I think there's a clue there in those two verses as to the difference between the offerings. The text seems to assume, and there is fairly widespread agreement on this, that Cain just brought some of the fruits of the soil, but that Abel brought the first and the best of his flock. Think about that distinction. Imagine that you have two children, and it's Christmas, and they both show up with Christmas gifts for you. The oldest child says, yeah, I was, I was on my way here, and I remembered that I hadn't gotten you a gift, and I was running late, uh, so I stopped by Dollar General, and wouldn't you know it, they had this wall hanging in the, in the clearance bin right inside the front door. Merry Christmas. I hope you like it. And then the second child gives you his gift, and, and he or she says, a few months ago, I, I made a trip out to Grandpa's homestead, and I got this board from the old barn, and then I had our family picture printed on this piece of metal, and even the wire that you use to hang it comes from the homestead. I hope you like it. I put a lot of time, a lot of effort into it. Now, I might have just stepped on your toes with the Dollar General story, but I I think the comparison is helpful. The text seems to say that Cain's offering was simply grabbing some grain to check a box, to pacify God, to meet the requirement, to have a gift when he showed up. But Abel's gift was the best part from the first of his flock. Cain saw what he had as his, and he was giving a token gift to the Lord to check the box, and Abel saw all that he has as belonging to the Lord, and gave to the Lord not from the excess, but the first and the best. Cain's gift was a token gift, simply because a gift was required and expected. While Abel's gift was worshipful. It was from the heart. It was given out of love for the Lord. We've all done this, right? We've all done something with the intention of just getting God off of our back. What we discover is that God sees and knows our hearts and our motivation. He knows whether the gift is sacrificial or just to make ourselves feel better. He knows whether we're living generously with him and his people. He knows the motivation and the heart behind what we do. This seems to be confirmed by Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to to verse 4 of Hebrews 11 when Abel's gift is, is mentioned. It says, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as 
righteous. What was the, what was the basis by which Abel's sacrifice was more acceptable, Hebrews says? Faith. Abel gave this faith-filled gift to the Lord, a, a true offering, a true sacrifice, not just checking a box, not just meeting a, a requirement, not just under compulsion, but driven by faith, by trust in the Lord, by love for God. You might be reminded of that day that Jesus was at the temple, and all of these rich people were bringing their gifts to the temple treasury and making sure that they were seen by everybody. And then Jesus looked up and he saw a very poor widow put in two small coins, two pennies. And Jesus said, this woman has put in more than all of the others. Why? Because he isn't fooled. He isn't fooled by a token offering that's given to check a box or to make an impression. He, he knows the heart. He sees the intentions. He discerns the motives. What else do we learn from this account of Cain and Abel? Second, we see this, that sin destroys everything that it touches. Sin destroys everything that it touches. One thing that is universally true about sin is that our sin hurts those around us and drives us away from the Lord. And I think we see this in a couple of primary ways. The first in our text is when Abel is murdered. God rejected Cain's offering, and what was Cain's response? It wasn't repentance. It wasn't the wake-up call that he needed to get his life together, to get his priorities straight, Cain's response was anger. Good verse 5. It says, So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. So how does Cain respond in his anger? We might say that he let it consume him. He, he asks his brother to go out into the field with him and when they get out there, he attacks Abel and kills him. I was wrestling with how best to, to teach, to share this with you this morning, and I read a commentary by theologian Walter Brueggemann, and in his commentary on Genesis, he gave a warning to preachers as they preached this section. He said that there's a, there's a temptation to analyze this section of Scripture uh, so much that we actually miss out on what it's saying. And I found this so helpful. He said, this story must be told rather than explained. And what we find when we tell the story is that the sin of Adam and Eve began to move downhill like an avalanche. Growing in devastation, picking up speed. This is an account of, of the life-altering family destroying, society-ravaging power of sin and unbelief. Now, it might be fair if you're thinking to yourself that this message is, is fine, but that it's not really all that relevant. Yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm not going to murder my sibling because of it, and I, I sure hope that that's true. But it's helpful to note that the Apostle John, in one of his letters, referred to Cain. In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, he said these 
words to these churches to whom he was writing. He said, do not be like Cain. Now, John here is writing to Christians. This was a circular letter that would have been passed from church to church. And so when he says, do not be like Cain, did did he actually think that these Christians would, would murder their siblings? I think that's doubtful. But John understood that the power, the pervasiveness of sin. And he shines the light on what sin does to us. Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. John says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own actions were evil and Abel's were righteous. This should be eye-opening for us. But of course, we've seen this within ourselves. When our sin is made clear, when our sin is held up alongside another and we look bad, our knee-jerk response is to attack or to discredit or to silence And so Cain's response was to eliminate the thing that was revealing the truth about him. And this is what human beings do. We find reasons that we don't have to listen to somebody. We we attack, we attempt to discredit in order to make ourselves feel better. In politics, we call names, right? That's what we do. We, We slander someone hoping to convince everybody else to stop listening to them. We, we go into self-protection mode, and that's exactly what Cain was doing in our text. He took it to the extreme, but sin destroys everything that it touches. And it makes us willing to destroy the things that should mean the most to us. The other way that we see sin's destructive power is in the relationship between Cain and the Lord moving forward. Verse 16, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence. Previously in verse 14, Cain accuses God of driving him out. And in verse 16, it's worded as if Cain is the one going out, fleeing from the Lord's presence. And I think both are true. Cain never once turns to the Lord in repentance and sorrow over his sin. He laments, he complains about the seriousness of his punishment, how severe his punishment is in in verse 13, but he never repents. And so this persistent rebellion, this denial of God, it can only result in one thing. And that's that Cain will be cut off from the Lord. Sin hasn't simply destroyed the life of Abel but it destroyed that entire family. Adam and Eve didn't just lose one son on that day, they lost two. Cain didn't only kill his brother, he ran away from any chance of repentance and turning back to the Lord. There's this crescendo that takes place in chapter 4. It's intended to make it so clear to us that sin destroys everything that it touches everything in its path. And yet we see something else in this account, something that might appear to be odd. We see the mercy of God. 
even in the midst of a horrible situation. And so third, we see that God is merciful to sinners. Another way of saying this might be that God doesn't give us what we deserve. What did Cain deserve? He deserved to die. Think about it. He lured his brother to the crime scene, murdered him in cold blood. According to God's very own law that we'll encounter in just a few chapters, Cain deserved to die for his actions. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. Certainly the consequences of of Cain's sin were severe. He himself said, my punishment is more than I can bear. But God, uh, you'll see, God doesn't overlook sin. God lets the consequences of sin play out in Cain's life and in the life of the family. Sin has very real consequences. Our rebellion against God has very real consequences. We see it all over society. Cain will live outside the presence of God, but but we see God do something interesting. Verses 14 and 15. Cain says, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now there has been much discussion over the centuries about this mark, or maybe better translated, this sign that is placed upon Cain. Again, we have to be careful that we don't say what Scripture hasn't said. We, we know that God has promised vengeance seven times over for anyone who kills Cain, and then he places this mark upon Cain. And so I think it's safe to say that the mark or sign seems to be for the purpose of protection. If you Google the mark of Cain, uh, you could spend all day reading various opinions. For example, many uh, racist and white supremacist preachers over the years have taught that the mark of Cain was actually that Cain was black. Of course, this was used uh, as leverage to promote their hate-filled agenda. There's no biblical basis for that belief. In fact, it should be rejected as sin. We don't know what the mark was. What we can say clearly is that God acted to protect Cain. In spite of his guilt, in spite of his refusal to repent, in the story of Cain, we see the consequence of sin, but we also see the undeserved mercy of God to sinners. And today we see and we feel and we taste the mercy of God to sinners. The most beautiful and helpful part of the Christian gospel is that God reverses things, that God turns the tables. And instead of requiring an offering, instead of requiring a sacrifice, today God provides the offering. He provides the sacrifice to us. Instead of bringing our best to God, hoping that it's enough to pay for our sin, God this morning gives us 
his best. Do you see the significance of the Lord's Supper? It's a meal based on a sacrifice. It's not just a nice token symbolic act by which we feel better about ourselves and like we've done something for the Lord. It's not like Cain's offering, a box that we check to keep God happy, to keep him off our back. No, quite the opposite. Think of Jesus' words when he says, This is my body, which is for you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Today, God offers his gift of grace to us, his sacrifice to us. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, the true and better firstborn, was slain for your sin. Your sin that destroys everything that it touches, that is a cancer within you that wrecks relationships and family that causes guilt and pain and God doesn't say now bring me the very best gifts to atone for your sin no he says I have given my son to atone for your sin he was forsaken that you might be welcomed back he died so that you might live now take and eat This meal of grace is a reminder that God has not left us as restless wanderers, but that he has welcomed us back. He has called us his children. He has promised us eternity with him, not cut off from him. So let's pray. Gracious and loving God, help us to see and to believe and to understand how devastating sin is. How living in disobedience and rebellion against you wrecks everything. And may that understanding drive us to the, the answer for our sin, the true and better sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who you sent to die for our sin. As we reflect on your word, And as we turn our attention to the the sacrament this morning, may you create faith where there is none. May you strengthen faith where it's weak. And may you leave all of us resting today in your answer for our sin. In the offering that you bring today, in the sacrifice that you provide to us this morning. We're so grateful for your gifts to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.